Amy Sinha is a jazz singer and voiceover artist. She has a rare nerve condition called sensory neuropathy. This episode, she speaks on living and working with a disability and overcoming it in order to live her life to the fullest. She teaches us how to build business skills, how she got into voice acting, the power of networking, and how by expanding your skills, you'll be able to get more opportunities. I don't know when it started. I mean, my parents don't know when it started because I really thought that when you're a baby, they do all those tests, you know, the feeling test with the feather and, the, you know, they check the weight and the height. So everything seemed normal as far as that was concerned. So then the fact that I guess around four years old, when my mother noticed that I was started to burn myself and didn't know why. I mean, that was quite of a shock then for them to say that my nerves didn't work. And I had this rare disorder that there was only one in five at that time in the country, in the UK. So, yeah, so it means that I can't feel hot or cold or superficial pain anywhere throughout my body, only in my mouth and my lips. Um, so I am lucky. I am lucky that I can feel in my mouth Yeah. Um, because I know ch- children, I think there was this, there were these twins and they couldn't, they had sensory neuropathy type one. Yeah. I have type two and type one meant they couldn't feel on their body and they couldn't feel inside either. So they kept beating each other up as kids do. And they would just break things and injure internally. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not actually sure what the outcome was for them. I'm not sure where they are or what happened, but that's the worst. That's the worst scenario. So for me, I guess it's bad, but it's not as bad as it could have been. Yeah. So for example, on a, on a cold day, you yep. you got you can go outside in a t-shirt and, and nothing kind of you don't feel cold at all or anything like that. Now that's different. Oh, okay. That's different. No, I do, and I feel the cold very quickly. Oh. So I feel weather cold. Yeah. I just if you put ice on my skin, so my hand, I can't feel that. Or if oh. you put if I put it against a kettle and it's burning, yeah, hot, I can't feel that. Right, because that's that's nerves as opposed to skin reaction. If that makes right. sense. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Because obviously, I've never met anybody that has yeah. this type of condition. It sounds like a superpower, if you ask me. But <laughs> yeah, everyone says that, and I'm like, it is. But, I, but also, if it was a really good superpower, it would be I could heal fast. Oh yeah. Um, but because of it, it takes me quite a while to heal. Oh. So if I injure myself, it like I, I fell on the street like two years ago. I was waiting. The pavement was curved up, and I didn't see it. And yeah. lucky, I wait for the red man. To go to green yeah. because the, it was um, sorry wait for the the light to turn red before yeah. I crossed and I crossed and I fell right onto the street and I I, I really went down hard mm. um, and it, the, my trousers split on both my knees and it was a massive gash and that was two three years ago and I still have the scar now and it, it took about two years for for it to heal oh, so gosh. Um, yeah the healing process is quite long so what was it like growing up with this I didn't catch the name of the of the condition, but growing up with this condition, was it one of those things where you were kind of like, you didn't really notice it day to day or was it something that kind of constantly would come up and affect your day-to-day life? Um, well, it's called sensory neuropathy type two. Yeah. Um, I think I can't, the only things that I remember um, is having um, like my mum would put mittens on my hands because I used to scratch my face a lot because I couldn't feel and obviously to stop me from burning so as far as affecting my everyday life was I didn't know it because I was so young yeah um so it would like they'd yell at me to stop touching and that that's the you know so I was always had to be careful so somebody always had to watch me Mm. but I didn't hurt myself so on that respect 
yeah it was I was always watched there was never really like left alone to just I guess because I couldn't I couldn't feel or yeah. you know, see I couldn't see because you know I had cataracts at the age of one and and that again was uh, a limitation for what I could do so like my whole life just feels like I've always got people around me because I have to be, yeah. Constantly monitored, yeah. Oh, yeah. that makes you a celebrity before you even knew it type thing if you've always got a monitor on. <laughs> yeah. So in addition to the sensory neuropathy and the cataracts, mm. then developed arthritis, which kind of made a bad situation mm. worse. When yeah. did you, what kind of age did you develop that at? Well, as part of sensory neuropathy type two, right. it comes with it. So oh. it's called, it's called, I say, arthritis because people know what that is mm. but really it's called charcoal joints which is part of the condition and mm. it is like osteoarthritis right so but what happened was I was actually quite active so I used to run I used to go on my bike and roller skate mm. but as soon as the doctors diagnosed all of these things and arthritis is kicking in they didn't know what to do mm. I mean I used to blame them for a time but I can't because they were only doing what they knew at the time and what they knew was the advice of what you would give to old people mm. which was to rest and not to do much exercise yeah. and because of that I stopped doing all exercise and then by the time I was 12 13 I couldn't move yeah. because I wasn't doing anything yeah. and then when you don't do anything your joints just seize up yeah and I couldn't walk I could literally standing was just epic it yeah. was just like walking from and walking from one end to the room to the other was just it was it was hard it, yeah. it, was, it was really really hard so I guess as a teenager your body had kind of you know clammed up and became you know very stiff and you were unable to move but it seems like you're more fit and healthy now when did you kind of get to a point where you could walk and and become more active what was that kind of pivotal moment for you where you decided like wait I need to actually you know quote unquote get well mm. well you know um I think I got two older sisters. So yeah. even though I didn't want to because it, everything was feeling so hard, they kind of made me like mm. they'd make me go to the shops, even though I would hate walking around the shopping center because it was set, you know, supposed to be a fun experience. But for me, it was just every time I used to go, I, it was just traumatic because yeah. it hurt so much. Mm. But I think when I decided to take matters into my own hands was when I got to 16 mm. and I went to music. I think, no, sorry, I went to um, a tertiary college it was called Gassinan College yeah. and I wanted to be like every 16 year old so I met an amazing group of friends as soon like on the second day yeah. and on that week on that Saturday we went clubbing yeah. and I kind of made myself like we in Swansea uh, we have a mile long of pubs I don't know if you, call, if you actually remember or if it was heard of but it's called the Mumbles Mile right. and then at the end were two nightclubs yeah. so I kind of made myself walk and, and kind of do that on a regular basis and then I'll be standing dancing um it came with a cost at the end of the night when I went to bed I couldn't sleep because I'd be in agony but I kind of made myself do that a lot because I wanted to kind of be normal and a normal teenager so that I guess that was that was the moment when I decided that I wanted things to change yeah and, and through all this support you know what well, not even support but kind of like you were wanting to have a normal life so you forced yourself to have a normal life yeah. Through this kind of period of your life, you developed something that you called a tree or newfound tree friends. Yeah. What are the tree friends? Are, are you a secret <laughs> like koala or, uh, or something? Like, I, I need to know what the tree friends thing is. The tree friends. Well, I said that I met my best friends on the second day. Yeah. And this is, I know, you know, I, I believe in fate, as in, I believe that when, when things are meant to be, mm. it can just happen. And, um, when I went to Kassainen College, my 
one of my sisters was there at the time. Yeah. So I used to hang out with her and her friends. Um, yeah. But she wasn't there for some reason. And I was walking around with her friend. But because they were the year above me, they were about to sit their A-levels mm. in that year. But I was like, well, I have no homework. I've just got here. Mm. So she was going to the library. And it was at the end of the day. And I just made the split decision. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go by myself. Now, you have to realize up until this point, I was really shy. Yeah. I was not used to mixing with people because I went to a private school and it was quite small. So I knew everyone. Yeah. So this was like a new thing all, all around. So I was like, no, I'm going to go and sit by myself. It was a really hot day. Some really summer, September, September, sorry, not summer, September of 2000. And no, that's too late. 1996. There we go. Um, we got really there in the day. end. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I was that what the year was then. Yeah, 1996. Um, and so I went to set aside and there was um, a few trees yeah. on the outskirts. And um, I saw this one girl and this boy sitting under the first tree. I was like, okay. So I kind of, I didn't even smile because I was too nervous. So yeah. like, I saw them and then I kind of walked to the second tree and I sat down. Mm. And then as I sat down, the girl from the first tree came up mm. and she was like, oh, you can tell me to like go away, but you know, are you a mature student? Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm not. And then literally we just started talking. And then this the boy came down. And then as we were talking, this whole group of girls, they'd obviously gone somewhere. They just came around. They made a semicircle around me. Yeah. Now I said I was in primary school. These girls were in comprehensive school. So yeah. I was just... Literally going, oh my gosh, I'm surrounded by these girls from comprehensive school. So I'm yeah. like, all right, okay, a little bit nervous. But three or four out of those group then became my best friends. So we always like, we welcome the tree. We kind of go back and like, oh, that was a great tree because we met under a tree. Oh, right. Okay. So that's the... Sorry, that's my long-winded answer to that question. No, no, it's, it's a, a beautiful yeah. story. It's a beautiful story because I was thinking, what are tree friends? Did you meet on a tree, in a tree? Did, did you meet because of you you planted a tree or not down a tree? I was, I was thinking, <laughs> what the hell? But it, it makes perfect sense now. So Under a tree. You were under a tree. Okay. So I've got that that bit covered because I was thinking to myself, <laughs> what the hell is that? So you went to Gorsain in school or yeah. Gorsain in college and you studied music. And then from there, you decided to continue studying music up until university level yeah and what was that like what was that experience like because I've also studied a music degree and I personally didn't enjoy it but I feel like that's more because of the facilities more so than the actual like experience if that makes sense so you went to Leeds is it Leeds College of Music what what was that like well you know what funnily enough like you so I auditioned for say Birmingham Conservatoire and it was weird because they didn't even have any singers on at that time. And they were looking in the end, they decided not to take singers on. So there was a lot of places who were getting jazz started yeah. in their degree. But Leeds College of Music already had a um, long-standing jazz degree with some amazing musicians who yeah. become teachers um, at that time. So when I went there, it was the best that it could have been. Mm. And it was an amazing experience because... Well, I got to live on my own with help. I, I did. I did kind of live by myself. Yeah. Um. In a, in a flat, but it also introduced me to sexism, mm. which I was not aware of at that time. All right. Um. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. It was. It was. 
I, I hadn't experienced it because again, where, where I was from, it was quite small yeah. and you had singers and, you know, you were included, but in the jazz, jazz world, I mean, it's male dominated. Yeah. As most, is every industry. <laughs> as yes, as it is. And, and women, if you, if you're not an instrumentalist, if you're a singer, you're not really looked upon as a musician. Mm. So I'm being a singer. You're just looked at really to just stand there, look pretty, sing a few notes, and then kind of blend in yeah. to the background. Bit of scatting, bit of scabbarded boop bop bops, and then that's going, it. yeah, <laughs> exactly. But the thing with me is that because I'm small as well, so I'm Asian, I'm small, yeah, I'm I'm loud, I have a loud voice, and my personality is is quite out there. So um, I don't think the world was ready <laughs> for for what I could bring, and they were kind of. I mean, I got quite depressed because nobody wanted me in their band yeah like I had I, I mean I'm not, I'm not bragging but I did have one of the best like melody voices at that time as far as singers were concerned yeah but they didn't want me to front their band because I took focus away from the brand band so I mean I was involved in one that was absolutely brilliant but that wasn't on in the college itself it was away um in Hull so even the main teachers, like we were supposed to be a big band. Everyone, every singer was supposed to get a big band rotation. Yeah. And one of them, without even telling me, he got somebody else, even yeah. though it was my my turn. And then he goes, "Oh, you've just got to suck it up. We just have somebody else." And I literally, this is my second year, and I it was I was I was crying, and I had so much. Oh, I can't. You, you have to stop crying by men saying, "Why are you crying?" Like you've got to, you know. You can't. You can't like, stop once just, you started. <laughs> you started, I know, but I just had everyone telling me, "Oh, you have to be more hard skin than that if you're yeah. gonna, you know." I was thinking the injustice. I mean, I look back, and it was that probably I was a little bit being a bit uh, drama-like, but it was really, really difficult at the time. So it taught me a lot that way yeah. how to kind of cope with men, yeah, um, because I wasn't used to it. Uh, yeah, to, <laughs> to go out in the world, and because I was going to be fronted with that for the rest of the years to come well yeah you unless you decide to change from being a woman you're going to experience that level of sexism <laughs> and, and the the good old patriarchy putting itself in the forefront all the time but yes okay so you had a, a good semi good time at university <laughs> you know you, yeah. you were you were honing in your skills and you, you got your degree in the end and, and all that good stuff and then once you came out unlike what most people do as I've experienced from doing my degree I've realized that some people go do a music degree and then they don't even work in music they go work in an office yeah. or do some other stuff you actually had a music career or you actually went and took a foray into the music world so what was the mm. first thing you did straight out of uni like what was the first singing gig you had or the first kind of band you joined tell me a bit about that okay so I have to be honest it was a process because yeah. coming out it was what do I do now mm. so I even went to the job center to go what else apart from music can I do yeah and I went to rigorous tests I even want to go into fashion but then you had a whole other fashion degree and it turned out and because of my disabilities they, I was limited I couldn't travel as much I couldn't just go sleep on somebody's floor in London and and, and do things like that so not settle, but I needed, I needed help. So they did put me um, in, um, it was called Women in Jazz. And that gave me a start. And they were really good, really, really friendly. So I started to work in the office uh, one or two days a week. Mm. Um, but what was involved in that, they, she had a band as well. Yeah, uh, It was a big band for women. And also uh, I got to sing a lot and I had an opp opportunity in my first time um, on BBC Wales because they wanted a panelist. Mm. And so they called that office and she's like, Amy, do you want to, do you want to do it? I was like, yeah, that's cool. So I went to Cardiff and the BBC studios um, to do that. And from that, actually, then I got a bit more confident and I met more people 
And then I started to just put myself out there. But also alongside that, we had, um, it was called Swansea Jazzland. And actually all the top musicians used to come to Swansea Jazzland. So you had the Ronnie Scotts players, you had people from America, you had um, uh, um, something to Swansea, Kyle Eastwood, who was Clint Eastwood's son, and they'd come also to the Taliesin Arts Centre. So even Swansea seems like a little place where nobody actually goes, but people, musicians are actually coming here. So yeah. I kind of aligned myself with Dave Cottle, who was the uh, who used to run Swansea Jazzland, and he was lovely. So every time a musician would come, he's like, oh, can Amy perform with you? Mm. So I got to perform with some really, really good musicians that are just coming to, to, to Swansea, and that's how I got my name out and got reputation. Yeah. And so in the process of getting your name out and getting your reputation out, you, you decided, like, cool. As much as I'm, you know, a front singer for these bands and I'm doing whatever I'm doing and I'm assuming you might have been doing covers and all that kind of stuff, you decided to actually have like a, you know, a, a solo career, for, for lack of a better word, where you wrote an album and did all that kind of stuff. What yeah. what was that like and how did you kind of do it? Did you, because, you know, a lot of people think London is the epicenter of music, but as you've just said, Swansea has got it popping. You've got the jazz people mm-hmm. coming to you guys. So did you record it all out in Swansea? Did you write it all out in Swansea? What was the like? creative process of, of making your album yeah no I wrote it well the thing with me is I get a little bit obsessed so when I decide I'm going to do something I just go full throttle and mm. I just push myself into it so I never thought that I could write a song mm. um I used to envy all the songwriters who could do it and mm. then just one day I just sat down in the piano and these words I write words first so I write the first verse and then I kind of make up a melody mm. and then write the rest of it so mm. I'd written one song and I was like hey why stop at one song I'm gonna write an album so I'm like right how many songs do I need nine okay and I wrote nine songs in two weeks because yeah. I was in that Zone. in that time frame and yeah. I already had I was working with a band at the time we were doing like weddings and things so I got them on board um and they kind of helped me to I'd written it all and to kind of work out you know how how it would sound and then mm. I just wanted to record it um and that had its own challenges because jazz musicians are a little bit especially bass players they yeah. can be a little bit um sticklers like I wrote I wanted to write the bass lines myself because you know that a hook will get people going so I didn't just want anything I wanted an actual line people would remember and a lot of musicians don't like that they just want to improvise yeah. um, especially so I, jazz I musicians of, especially oh my god yes especially jazz musicians um so, but so I did come up with a, a few um, <clears throat> setbacks, yeah. but not putting that. I, just, I went ahead and found musicians who actually would do it. Um, so yeah, I, did, I just did it, put it out there, put it on iTunes myself. Um, but the but the 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 point of that album, I think, wasn't. It was just to get what was out of my head onto paper. Yeah, it, I didn't when I was writing it. I didn't think I'm going to make this commercial for people to play on radio. So when people, it's not for everyone and it's, it's not meant to be for everyone. So people are like, oh my gosh, what is this? But it was for me, yeah. for me to put out there. That's the, that's the best forms of art are the ones that are made for you. And, you know, it, it's, it sounds like really, well, I don't even know. It sounds nonsensical to say it to somebody because they think, well, wouldn't you make it so everyone would like it? It's like, yeah, but if I don't mm. like it, why am I doing it? And yeah. I guess I'm not saying non-creative people because I do like to believe everyone is creative, but for the for the purposes of this conversation non-musicians would go why would you make music that only like a couple hundred people would like when you can make music that like millions of people like it's like because that's not what's coming out of me or that's that's right. not where I'm at right now so when it when it came to you know releasing your album you said you did it all yourself and all that kind of stuff did you also tour your album as well 
Um, well, yeah, no, I did actually. I kind of went round, and and people were loving it. They, I think, they appreciated that my vocal. You could, you could actually hear the vocals. And then I realized I didn't really understand what they meant until I actually went back. And because when you're listening, you don't, it just doesn't click uh, what you're listening to until people specifically mention it. And then I realized your pop song is actually blended inside the music. Yeah. Where it's a little bit hard to hear what people are singing. Mm. Uh, that's why you need the words in front of you. Um, but I, you're, I made it so my voice was clear enough for you yeah. to hear the lyrics and I think a lot of people really did appreciate that so um so I did tour with it and then I got to sing in um um in the Welsh Millennium Centre yeah. because of it and BBC Wales I performed live you know a lot of things opened up because I wrote my own music yeah. whereas before I was just a singer mm. but now I was a singer songwriter yeah. and that was a whole new world yeah, yeah. there's definitely so much uh, value in doing the thing that you love first and then yeah. letting that open up other doors because the, the first podcast I made for my company was an mm. audio drama, like a sci-fi audio drama that I wrote oh. myself, produced myself, sound design, did all the music. I did it pretty much everything apart from the voice acting. And when I was doing it, I was thinking to myself, why am I doing this? Like, this is, this is costing me money. I'm losing money on this. Like, this is such a stupid idea. And then by episode three, four or five, people started to come out the world and go, oh, you could do sound design. Oh, you can write, you can produce. And all of a sudden I realized I was building a portfolio or an example of what I'm willing to do for money. And I was like, ah, this makes some sense. And, and now I'm always preaching to other people, especially now that I get asked to do panels and talks and stuff. I go to them, hey, do what you want to do. And then once you've done that to a level that's acceptable, to a level that's perfect, because people forget. If you start, if you decide to do something today, it won't be your best thing. And you would have been singing for years beforehand. You would have done your degree. You would have done your A-levels. So by the time you got to the album, you had a certain level of expertise that allowed that album to not only be a good quality, but also to be a true expression of what was going on in your head. Mm. So I always tell people, do what you want to do and it will it will lead to more work afterwards. And you, like you said, you you went and performed with the with the Welsh choir and all this kind of stuff. So your music career kind of ended up becoming, you know, somewhat profitable somewhat of a of a paying job right and well <laughs> i mean maybe shall we say <laughs> so what made you transition into into voice acting how did you find out about voice acting because i feel like now a lot of people know because of the pandemic because people think it's quick yeah. easy money to to mm -hmm. go and do voice acting but how did you find out about it and what was it like getting your first voice acting gig See, it was a process because i mean um for so I always had a nice speaking voice yeah. so people always used to compliment me on my voice mm. um and my telephone voice and I never used to take it seriously so then when I was like doing radio interviews because of the album mm. um they did used to ask me to record links yeah but again I didn't I really did not take it seriously as something that I should be doing um what happened though was I think in 2018 I came to kind of this state where I just didn't want to sing anymore because yeah. it was getting so difficult. Mm. I just, I just, it was, it was, yeah, it was just so difficult that I just couldn't consciously make, will myself to sing yeah. in public. And mm. I just wanted something else to do. Um, so it was my sister, actually, she, my older sister, she was having a conversation with one of her friends and she uses voiceover artists and she was like, Amy, she, you know, she, she finds out how much she got paid, but she was paying. She was, Amy, you can make this amount of money. You can set up from home. Why don't you give it a go? 
And I'm like, oh, okay, why not? So I decided to buy the equipment, set up my little studio, um, and then just make a showreel and just start putting it out there. But as you said, um, if you decide to do something, it's not going to be your best work at that particular time. So, I mean, I listened back to my old demo. I was thinking, oh, my God. But what happened was because an agency wouldn't take me on because I didn't have one year's paid experience. So I was like, okay. So I signed up to one of those pay to audition agencies. I know it's not for everyone. It's hard work because you have to keep on auditioning. But at the same time, I was getting 20 auditions a day out of practice. So I was doing that for about a few months. So I started, I guess, at the end of 2019 um, into, and I got my first paid job in March 2020. Um, beginning of the pandemic, then, fresh into the, the pandemic. Just before the pandemic hit, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's when I got my first paid gig. And then I was like, oh, no, things are now going to come crashing down because what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, but then online networking started. And that is when things really took off because... I saw that my market was international. It wasn't really in the UK, even though I was doing things in the UK, it was international. And then I saw my relevance because up until then I was thinking, well, you've got actors, you've got actors who are now doing voiceovers. So where does an unknown come in? Um, And I think it's just finding your, finding your purpose and finding where you fit in and finding your relevance. Um, So yeah, that's where it is. (laughs) How did you find your, your, uh, your well, we know how you found your purpose. You decided that you that this you was going to try this, but how did you find where your market was, like where you were relevant? How did you find that online? Um, I had to do. I had to go to a lot of networking meetings. Um, <laughs> like I was doing maybe one a day, and then I was doing one to one meetings, like in the day with the UK people, and then in the night with the US people. And I had to do three months. Res- constantly and then what I did was I got on to um, a growth acceleration course run by the Welsh government which started in January um, and that's a business and then that really honed in what I was doing and I actually won an acceleration award I was very proud that's my first business award (laughs) well done well done (laughs) so yeah it was through that that I really honed in what the business skills was because I had no business skills yeah. whatsoever before that time yeah and and what were the business skills that you honed in or a couple of them if you can remember a couple of them was to um to be aware of my value mm. and to be confident so yeah. I then the one thing I was lacking when I was singing I just could not like like asking for money was really difficult for me and asking for what I was worth so you know as you say you put in so much practice I mean it's not just you turn up and you sing mm. no you go through years and years of vocal practice, of practicing with the band, of your technique, of learning the songs, of learning how to use the equipment. Then you turn up and then you have to set up and then you have to sing, then you unset up and then you drive home. So, and that's the reason why I got depressed towards the end of that time was because the value was getting lower and lower what they were expecting Mm. for more than um, that I was willing to give at that time. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I, that's the one thing that I learned was to know my value and be confident in the value that I was providing. And that was the key thing that I Mm. think that has really benefit. Yeah. Because I think the thing is as well, when you decide your, your price, you know, your price or your value, it's to stick by that because people will always try to chip away at your price. You know, if you say, look, it's 5,000 pounds for this, people will go, how about 4,000? And you, you you know, depending on, on what it is and what's going on, you might go down a little bit, but you won't go down 
to the point where you're going like, wait, why am I even, you know, why am I even doing this? Yeah. I thought I was trying to get, you know, trying to make money here, not not scrape by, especially where, you know, being a voice actor is, you're an entrepreneur, you're self-employed. There's, you know, one guy that I, uh, that reached out to me in a very interesting way on LinkedIn by sending me a video in my LinkedIn DMs. He was like, hey, Sam, you know, I've looked at your, your profile. I see you've done this. I see you've done that. I'm a voice actor. I used to be an opera singer, blah, blah, blah. And merely because of the way he introduced himself, it wasn't text, it was a video. So once I've interacted mm. with it, I feel obliged to reply to this guy because I could see his face. I've heard him speak. He's done his research. It's not, it's, you can't copy paste a video. The video was for me. So now I feel like I have to reply. And, you know, I see him now doing his, his social media content, his posts on LinkedIn, and they're really, really good. But I feel like each voice actor is different in how they get their work and how they do their thing. But that's because essentially you are an entrepreneur. And, you know, I guess I say all that to kind of ask you this is, you know, some people that are listening now might want to get into voice acting. They might just have a general interesting interest in, in how you find your work. Do you have like an agency or do you just have like a list of clients? Like where do you find people and how do you find them? Well, at the start, it was by the agency mm. um, and I'm still signed up with them. Mm. And then once I got the confidence to kind of go out and say, yes, I am a voiceover artist. Um, yeah. Sorry, I am a voiceover artist. Yeah. Um, I don't usually call myself an actor because, um, but actually saying that, I may not be, I never thought of myself as being a good actress just in general, maybe because of my face. It just does weird things when, when I'm speaking. So, but, <laughs> yeah. because, but because of my years singing, um, I do voice act in that way. So I guess I, I, I am a voice actor. It's a performance. Um, it is a performance. Yeah. And, and but again, it's down to confidence. So once you get the confidence to, to be, um, find your niche, I think find what you're really good at and then go with that. I mean, I, I remember I was very general with what I was doing and it wasn't really, um, it wasn't really homing in and I was having difficulty. Mm. But as soon as I said that I can do children's voices, that was my niche. Yeah. Um, and then I really push the children's side of it like I do now. Yeah. <laughs> um, to, to, so I think find your niche, find what you're good at and find what you enjoy because there is nothing worse than doing like a 20 minute script of something that you hate and you're just having to say it. You have no passion, you know, you, you're putting nothing into it. So I think that's the key. Find yeah. you love. So your yeah. your niche is children's voices, as in doing children's voices or reading content for children. Uh both. But I love doing I love doing children's voices. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I you know what's funny? As a kid, you don't really think about like, oh, this is an adult putting on a child's voice, but that's what it is, because you can't employ a child to read consistently or to, to understand what you're saying. So it is a very odd thing that once you become an adult, you go, Oh yeah, actually, these are adults. You know, this whole thing was written by adults. Four children, <laughs> voice acted by you know, adults. Four children. It's like, oh, never, never really thought of it like that. But yeah. yeah. Although so, that girl who did Peppa Pig did start off when she was young. Yeah, yeah. And funny enough, she still has that same voice. Have you heard? It's, just it's the so same bizarre. with uh, Adventure Time. This, I met the guy that plays the, the main character, Finn. And I was, yeah. like, I was like, your voice is deep. How do you do the, the voice? He's like, well, as you know, my voice got deeper as it thing. But when I started, I was like 12. He's like, now I'm 20. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's very interesting how, how voice acting works and how, mm. so, or voiceover, should I say, to make you feel more comfortable <laughs> works. But, okay. So some of the things you've you've previously done is, you know, some of the more stereotypical stuff, radio, corporate stuff, but international voicemail. What, what, what is that and how does that work? 
Why? <laughs> so, um, well, basically, it's voicemail for I did. I've done a couple of these. So it's for large companies based in the US. Mm. And so what they wanted was for each member of their staff, they wanted a voicemail message for that for that particular person. Uh, so that's what international voicemail is. It's, it's voicemail for large companies. And so you you would you'd be like, this is Steve Wozniak's voicemail leave a message after the beep or is it like this is you know big bucks incorporated voicemail <laughs> like was it per employee you'd have to read a new name or how was it how did it work well it started off with the main 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 company main person and then it went to the individual uh, people working there Jeez. so it could be quite a lot of people but the good thing about that is because i'm the main voiceover for all of that companies that every time they have a new employee they kind of get back to me going can you read now for the, oh. for the new employee that we have yeah so, which is cool that, well, that's the thing isn't it once you get stuck into someone's ecosystem in in such a way that you know that they can't undo you without spending a lot of money <laughs> you know you're onto a winner that's that's the best I way know. forward i love that that is great i love that yeah oh, yeah you've got to jump into someone's company and become what i like to call a ghost employee so no one knows who you are but if you say hey i do this thing they go you do that thing oh wow like I hear your voice all the time. It's like, yes, you do. <laughs> you know me and I don't know you. Bow to me. <laughs> Lovely. So you also have a YouTube channel, which I didn't have a chance to to look at, but on your YouTube channel, you kind of still touch on to your music side of things where you interview music artists. Yeah. So basically what happened, because I was so shy growing up and I wasn't very good at talking to strangers even now talk like picking up the phone to call a random person fills me with nerves yeah but I thought to get over that I would just interview random people so I had access to all of these musicians coming to Swansea um so I thought why not start interviewing them and then I started my uh, own YouTube channel and I first interviewed uh, we have Swansea well we used to have Swansea uh, Jazz Festival and you had Derek Nash from Ronnie Scott's and um all the other players that um, Winston Blissett plays bass for Massive Attack. And so I interviewed them. They were my first first trial runs. Well, they're, the they're pretty big artists to be doing for a trial run. But, you know, everybody <laughs> know. starts somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And then I thought, oh, well, you know, I want, I'm a bit vain. So I want my face to be shown as well. So yeah. I thought just buy this little video camera and go around with a squidgy little stand. And um, so um, my, my first big one, I have to say, bigger, sorry, bigger, bigger one yeah. with my um video was um buddy greco who sadly passed and he was one of the rat packers back in the 1960s and yeah. he did this amazing version of ladies a tramp and i've listened to that since i was 16 and i absolutely loved it so when they were saying he was coming here and yeah. somebody knew the manager a friend of mine and they go amy do you want to interview him and i was just like yes i really do yeah. um that was literally the best day of my life because i was like like in in awe and mm. so that was really really cool and then i did interview um clint eastwood's son which was again my which was absolutely amazing and they just fell fell into my lap yeah. as i said i put the thoughts out what i wanted to do people knew what i wanted to do so they kind of were in high alert, high alert. yeah um so they let me know when it was happening so you're mm. kind of a big believer in you know if you decide to do something you should tell everybody that this, this is what i'm trying to do so it's burned into their brain as well as it's burned into yours and when an opportunity comes they bring an opportunity to you i believe that or not tell everyone but tell the main people around you mm. i mean i know people want to keep it quiet until they get that opportunity but sometimes you won't actually get that opportunity unless you actually put put the feelers out there mm. and as you said for people to actually know what you're looking for for them to actually say oh I've got this opportunity for you and that's 
actually how things have happened in my life. It's yeah. like I've told people what I want to do and they have then come to me. Yeah. Um, I've very rarely gone out and, and physically or like actively in search um, till now, I'm not going to lie till now. And we've got the internet now I've gone out on my own, but before that, when the internet wasn't so Robust. like at the forefront of, yeah. Yeah, of everything we're doing. Yeah. That's how I did things. So uh, I guess you've, you've had a lot of successes, you know, shall we say, because mm. a lot of people, they might try the music thing and then they go, oh, do you know what? This isn't working. Forget this. I'm going to go work in some other job. That's not really fulfilling my passion, but you know, you've gone from music to voiceover to, you know, whatever you do next. Previously, is there any kind of decisions you've made in your career that you think, I wish this had gone differently? Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's probably like because, because of everything that I suffered growing up. I mean, I was reliant on other people and it was hard for me to do things on my own mm. uh, in in some respect and when I was auditioning to music colleges I really wanted the ones in London mm. and I auditioned for the ones in London but they weren't looking for proper proper jazz singers they were looking for classically trained they can turn into jazz and even though I studied classical I didn't want to do classical and my voice wasn't meant for it so I mean it's not really my decision I just wish that I I mean obviously everything turned out the way it turned out I was supposed to go where I was supposed to go but yeah. um, part of me does Wish I went to um, a music college in London um, and I think more doors would have opened up for me on a musical level because in Leeds they didn't have anything for you to do afterwards. Yeah. It was like either go on a cruise ship or become a teacher and I thought like, I don't want to be a teacher and I get seasick so cruise ships aren't really what I really want to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, and yeah so and, and I actually wish I, I never went to audition for Pop Idol but that's another story. Oh but- go on tell, tell us the Pop <laughs> Idol story what, what happened with Pop Idol? Obviously, oh, the God. show doesn't you know, exist I, anymore. I think, <laughs> no, yeah, it doesn't exist. But what happened was, um, it was my friend. They're like, Amy, Pop Idol auditions are coming to Manchester. We've never been to Manchester. Let's have a day out and you can audition. Yeah. And people were telling me not to do it because I had just finished a jazz degree. Yeah. Um, but I was like, no, no, I got into my head. No, I really want to do this because I was a little bit depressed that I had nothing to fall on yeah. when I finished. So I was like, okay. I auditioned. It was just the worst thing possible because you have to be a type of person that is going to, you know, clap along. And Anton Deck was there and the TV crew was coming around going, which is your favourite, Ant or Deck? And I was like, which Who? one is Ant? <laughs> yeah. <What>? yeah. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Sorry, what? when can I audition? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I wasn't really that type of person, but all right, okay, I did it anyway. Um, it made me open my eyes to the process. So mm. it was like, you have to go around two rounds of auditions in the first day to in front of the producers yeah. if the producers put you through and that t- now bear in mind they're telling you all the way through the only way you're getting through as if you're good yeah now we know that's not the case because we see those auditions live on tv yeah so i got through <laughs> so i'm thinking am i good am i not good all right okay um so i had to go back a week later and i had to go to another round of auditions by the producers and again you're only getting through if you're good yeah i got through I went through to Simon Cowell yeah. <laughs> and Dr. Fox or whatever his name is and Pete Waterman and um, was it Nikki or something or another? Um, I don't know. Uh, but I, but walk, but the one good thing that came out of it was I walked into the room and there was a shed load of video cameras yeah. either side and I had never faced those amount of cameras and I froze oh. and I didn't realize that I was camera shy. Yeah. So I was stuck still in the middle. And you know, when you're, you're, 
your soul is coming out of your body. Yeah. Literally, I was watching myself from above and because of those years that I just, those performance mode, even when you're uh, nervous, I was a robot. I was trained to sing yeah. and I was trained to sing well. Now, there was no soul in what I was singing. There was no life into what I was singing yeah. because I wasn't physically actually in my body. Mm. Um, but but I finished. I sang Nobody Does It Better. Yeah. Um, I, I sang the wrong song. I shouldn't have sang that song in hindsight. Um, I should have sung Killing Me Softly, which was my backup song. But um, so Simon Cowell, he just looked at me. And now I'm five foot, I'm four foot five. Oh, so wow. I'm quite sure. Four yeah, foot so the, five. Yeah. That is a small person. Five. That's a small person. So the <laughs> yes. first thing that Simon Cowell said, he just looked at me and he goes, you're a funny little thing. Yeah. And I was like, right, okay. Because he didn't know what else to say. Yeah. What else to say? I had a good voice, although he did say you don't have the best voice. And I looked at him and I was thinking, that's really, that's crap because yeah. you know I do. But he was saying <laughs> it. And then uh, Pete Waterman goes, oh, maybe you need to go on the cruise ship. And I was just like, because they had nothing to say. Yeah. Because at that time, they had never seen anybody as a disabled person. I mean, yeah. you've got Gareth Gates, yeah. who had a stutter. But apart from that, you saw no diversity. Yeah. On, I mean, you had the obese people, but that was about it. So and I remember watching a show afterwards. It was like one of those, um, those follow-up in the nights. So and yeah. then I remember one of them going, oh, no, no, we did have a disabled person come in. And I'm just thinking that is just absolute, you know. Oh, that's great, you know, the focus. So obviously I didn't get it. And then there's this camera following me around afterwards going, how do you feel? How do you feel? And I, I wasn't going to give them any bait. I was like, no, no, fair enough, fine. Yeah. And I just walked out. I was like, no, that's, you <laughs> you're, know. You're like, yeah, gonna... sweet. It's fine. Yeah, whatever, I'm going home now. Gonna, could go over some chips. <laughs> so you, but there was people all... there. Yeah. Yeah, no, but there was people there going, oh, we're coming back. They had really bad voices. But yeah. you think, but the reason they think they have great voices is because they've been keep, be, uh, keep being told that you're really good, therefore you're going in front yeah. of the of the actual judges. And I saw how it went. And then from then on, I had no desire mm. to go on any reality TV show whatsoever. Yeah. So yeah. your audition, as good as it was and as great as it was, it, it didn't get aired <laughs> because obviously you didn't you didn't give them what the, what they wanted, which is you know, no. I say unfortunate in some parts, but also you know it, it takes a, a high moral compass, but. So I don't know how you viewed that. I'm not saying you viewed that as a failure. I'm guessing you viewed that as a learning experience. But do you have like a takeaway you've had from a, a, what you deem to be a big failure? As in, you know, what was that failure and, and what did you take away from that? Because I feel like you, you learn from these mistakes you made or things you, you come up against rather than let them bring you down. Yeah, you know, I think I did let it. I mean, even though I had just gone through a jazz degree and I had just graduated, I mean, mm. I think that experience did bring me down because it was it was to go to show that somebody like me wasn't going to make it. Mm. So somebody who was different, who was Indian, who had disabilities, who was short, who wasn't your typical role model pop artist. Mm. Um, that, that was it. I'm thinking, well, this, this, this is just the end. What am yeah. I going to do? Yeah. Um, being a singer, I, I, all my dreams of being like Mariah Carey, you just shot to pieces. So um, it did, it did affect me for, for some time. I'm not going to lie. Um, it did take a lot for me not to, to, to disassociate myself from, that and to get back up and and just continue um but again it was a learning experience because then i learned to i forced myself to be in front of video cameras so then i that doesn't phase me anymore and then when i did the millennium center in cardiff everyone had video cameras all these young people and it was the best it was amazing because it was just it was you know i could cope with it so um yeah. i've had a lot of failures where things just did not work out um i didn't get what i wanted there was something on beep i'm not going to 
no, maybe there was something on BBC One, yeah. uh, which I would have been perfect for. Yeah. And then the end, they just said no, even though I went through another again. Um, they came to me and it was a, a round, but at the end, why they didn't tell me I didn't get it, I don't know. I can yeah. only make my own assumption. Mm. And when people don't tell you why you don't get it, you start to think, maybe it's because I'm Indian and I don't want to play the race card because yeah. I don't believe well, that. Well, that's sometimes the first thing you have to hand is like, what's wrong? Because I know my skill set's there. And then you might look at the person that would have got the, oh, that person's white or that person's, you know, not, you know, Asian or black. And you go to yourself, that has to be it, surely. Because, you know, skills wise, I'm up there. And it, it, it's it's hard to not play the race card, especially when you, you do think in your head, well, that's the only option. Other people say, oh, no, it's this, it's that. And other people will confirm with you, like, it is probably because of that, actually. And that's the thing. So if you if they actually say, oh, this is the reason why you didn't get it, rather yeah. than, oh, no, you just weren't suitable. Yeah. Then that just brings it. And I've never been that kind of person. I've never seen me being Indian as any sort of restrictive barrier throughout yeah. my life. But mm. that particular time mm. did make me feel it. And, and yeah, that wasn't good. <laughs> how did like you it. how did you overcome that? What did you how did you get out of that mind state and kind of progress to a mind state of where you're at now, which is a mind state of abundance? Um. Again, I think. Um, I, I, I kind of put another perspective on it. So I thought, okay, singing wise, I'm a good singer. I'm not the best singer mm. amongst all the other singers out there. You know, there's so many gospel singers I cannot even reach, but I am unique. Mm. Um, I have that. And then that's when I decided to write my songs while going, well, I need some more uniqueness to the unique I already am. So me writing songs would be another edge. Uh, so I think that's how I combated that. Uh, because I think and I think the downside with people who just want to be singers is that mm. you're coming across so many thousands, millions of other singers mm. who actually might be better than you or not mm. better, but just just have more versatility or, you know, that kind of thing. So instead of competing to be the best singer that you can be, mm. find an edge, find something else that, uh, you know, you'll, you want to be good at as mm. well uh, and not just chase fame. I yeah. think fame is 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 a downside to to everything. Well, yeah, some of the richest people in the world, obviously, everyone knows Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, but some of the other rich people, you know, lower down on that billionaire, millionaire, whatever list, no one knows who they are. They probably even have an Instagram or a website or all this kind of stuff. They just yeah. make their money and they mind their business. And in any creative field, whether it's design, singing anything you can think of that's creative there's someone up there up there in some potentially corporate or maybe even just a self-employed contractor job who's making a lot of money and you don't know who they are and they don't care that you don't know who they are because they're making money and if you can get paid to do your passion or something that, that yeah. you know feeds that you know, scratches that itch for you i see no problem with that you know you know that's that's the thing and i think that's what i've learned through all the years is like i actually don't need my face to be known to mm. everyone mm. i actually love doing this voiceover stuff yeah. and just doing the voices uh but that's something i had to learn over time uh to kind of um put, put a, that flame that i want to be famous i want to be famous i want people to know who i am yeah to this i'm actually happy with <laughs> what, what i'm being behind the scenes yeah uh, yeah <laughs> oh, but i mean it's, it's not like you're behind the scenes it's more like that you're just no. you're yeah. just not in the limelight in the same way that you thought you'd be if you think about it that way yeah. you've recorded all those voicemails for those companies, people are hearing your voice thousands of times a year or a day. And that's one thing that I have to kind of put myself in check about. I go, yeah, okay, I didn't have a music career. I never wanted to have one. But then when I think about the audio drama I've written and even this show, thousands of people have heard my music. Cause like anything you hear music on that comes from my company is done by me. And I'm like, wow, 
if I add all these, you know, these podcast listens up, I've got like, you know, a fair amount of streams of my music that a lot of people that went to uni with me would dream of. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, isn't that funny? Because I'm sure if you were to look around your your old classmates that you went to to uni with and all that kind of stuff, a lot of them aren't even doing anything creative in this. They are, they're, you know, they're on the bread line. <laughs> they're not living in a, in a way that's so glamorous, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of people, unless you actually make it, make it, mm. I don't think musicians... Um, especially session musicians, you know, you, that's what I mean. You you see these people who are in big bands, but they're also then touring on their own. Uh, so I've seen I've seen that a lot, and a lot goes. I never really wanted to do the touring. Mm. One, I couldn't physically cope with all of that, yeah. and two, I'm a very home person, so yeah. I'm very close to my family and friends, and I have two nephews, and I love, you know, I love seeing them all the time. So mm. I wouldn't want to miss out on that. To, to do the touring and that's the other side where I don't think I was you have to totally commit to when you've got your music career you have to really commit to all of these things mm. and commit to your privacy and again I'm a very private person um like even what I've told you I never told anybody up until last year yeah um so there was a lot that I was hiding that I didn't want people to know because I thought that would um hinder mm. me even more than I was already being hindered um so yeah a lot goes with it yeah Oh, in in the light of you saying, you know, you, you never used to share this story before. You used to used to keep it to yourself. Mm. How would you bottle up who you are now and what you've become, and and put it in a nice little parcel and deliver it to your younger self or to you know someone who is hoping to be in a position like you in the future? You know, self employed and and living in a in a creative well, not living, sorry, working in a creative sphere. How would you wrap that up as a mot- motivational quote? How would you motivate that person to? get shit done um you know I, I i like the saying i really do believe that like, anything is possible so even things that seem really hard if you have patience determination and you just look at the bigger picture and you will see it all coming together and i think the one thing i would have told myself especially when i was 16 is don't let the little things, you know, I mean, we all know, don't let the little things um, become big things. Mm. Um, when you have a problem, solve it. When it's small, don't wait for it to become humongous um, until it seems like you can't cope because that's when mental depression sticks in and and then it's even more difficult to, to come out of it. So, yeah, I would say anything is possible and just deal with the little things as they come along on your path. Where can the people find you online, Amy? Okay, well, I have an actual website. Um, it's at amysinhurt.com. Somebody told me not to say www because it's just too long. So <laughs> amysinhurt.com. <laughs> um, but you can find me all through social media. So Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. What's the other one? Oh, I'm even on Clubhouse. Um, I'm on TikTok um, and LinkedIn. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So all social media that you can think of. But I'm not on um, that one where you post it and then it goes away. Oh, Snapchat. That's it. That's clearly, I didn't even know what it was called. Yeah. So I'm not on Snapchat. <laughs> Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.